Most people think that they are choosing between the good and the bad. In reality, they are choosing between being mediocre and becoming truly great. Welcome to the Next Action Podcast with your host, Brian Wallace. In 15 minutes, we'll help our guests catapult from their current situation to a Welcome path back to the show, everybody. Greatness. Thank you so much for joining us once again on the Next Action Podcast with your host, Brian Wallace. So like you know, we love to dive right into the 15 minutes so it easily fits your commute and wherever you are. So today, we are joined by Hunter Thompson. Hunter is a full-time real estate investor and founder of ASIM Capital, a private equity firm based out of Los Angeles. Since starting ASIM, Hunter has helped more than 250 investors allocate capital to over 100 properties. He has personally raised more than 30 million in private capital and controls more than 75 million in commercial real estate. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Hunter. How are you? Hey, much appreciated. Thanks again. Absolutely, man. And I feel like I love having different archetypes of people who just have different walks and journeys of life. I know a lot of times we have solopreneurs, sometimes we have keynote speakers, sometimes we have people at big corporate, but like you and I were just discussing before we started the show, this is quite a bit different than a lot of the guests that we've had. So I'd love to dive right in. I know you and I were talking a lot about due diligence. So not everybody is really familiar with what that is since that's your life and livelihood. I'd love to kind of hear... Uh, a deeper understanding for people, still on the short bit of our podcast, how to conduct due diligence and just all the things that they're missing that you really can help them with. Yeah. So in the world of investing, there's a really important delineation between active investors and passive investors. And so the active investors would be the type of investors that would own a property. They may even hire a property manager, but that property manager is directly interfacing with them. In the world of passive investing, which is my specialty, there's an extra layer in between the investor and the asset. So in the types of deals that we have and we offer for our investors, let's say you have a large commercial property, that property is managed by a property manager, and then that property manager interfaces with a sponsor. So a lot of our due diligence is viewed through the lens of that sponsor, that operating partner, as being the most critical of the entirety of the investment. And so when I look at due diligence for my personal investments and for the investors of my investors, I look at through the lens of trying to understand who the sponsor is and whether or not they're worth making a bet on. And when I say that, it's like everything from the actual third-party accountability going through trying to understand you know, trust but verify on the claims that the sponsor themselves is making, all the way through looking at the underwriting assumptions and the legal documents, trying to see, read through the lines, to see how competent, how sophisticated are these individuals and whether or not they're putting themselves in a position to deliver for their investors or whether or not they are just simply trying to get a deal closed. And so we have developed a system that is like a seven stage process to work our way from the most important thing, which is the sponsor, to the legal documents, which I'm sorry for the attorneys out there that are listening. The legal documents are important. They're in the seven stages, but it's the only time in which the legal documents are critical is with you're actually going to sue someone. So we want to stay away from that. So I can, I can briefly go through those seven stages and talk about some of the nuances of each of those. And I think that would be a good step for people that are interested in passive investing. Oh yeah, please do. I think it's essentially important. I think a lot of people raise money because that's what the cool kids do. They overraise. they have no idea what they're doing. Like you said, they overemphasize the legal docs, but they don't understand the whole deal flow and the structure of right. it, why it's even a good partnership. So yeah, I, I'm personally very interested in it. I'm sure our listeners will be very appreciative as well. So let's hit it, man. So I'll hit a couple of, of just key points on each one to try to keep it simple. So with a sponsor, generally speaking, anyone can make claims about real estate. 
so the key is like putting in systems in place that you can actually facilitate verification of those claims. A perfect example is I live in Los Angeles and there's a very large retail center here called The Grove. I can just say that I own The Grove and put pictures of The Grove in my marketing deck. So how do you find out if I actually do own The Grove? So the way to do this is you can pull title on the properties that the claims to own. And like Chicago Title Company for a real quest where you actually can see the chain of title. You can see which entities actually own that property property you can entities to that sponsor personally um, something else I really like to do which I think is completely underutilized is rather than talking to investors of the sponsor which are usually their friends and their family members which is fine I like to talk to professional references so lenders insurance companies that they work with that actually have something to gain or lose by saying something that's untrue so if a construction company is working with them they want to make truthful claims about how frequently they work together whether or not they worked on a particular property and what it's like to work with them so i really like those things then at the end of the day i also really like background checks i again think it's completely underutilized it's a great way to spend 150 dollars. you can find a lot out about a person running a background check and that's that's a quick summary of what i like to do with the sponsor um, the next stage is regarding on-site management you know, typically speaking here, I want to ask a couple of key questions about what software they use. What is the interface between the software and the property manager and the sponsor? Now, I don't have to see that every single month or every single quarter. I just want to understand what it is so I can see the level of transparency from the asset to the sponsor. Because as a passive investor, I want to rely on the sponsor that they know what they're doing. So I need to see at least what they're looking at. Um, the next part is the loan. And for a lot of people, I think that in real estate, it's confusing because the loan is not typically what they're thinking about when they're thinking about their investment in real estate. But the problem is that if you're going to lose money in real estate, 99% of the time, it has something to do with the loan. So think about all the problems that people had in 2008. That 2008 was a bit of an aberration, but it's always the case that when people lose money, they have a property that's foreclosed, the interest rate went up to too quickly without them being able to pay for it. They had to refinance too quickly. It always has to do with that. So I want to talk about the loan to value, the right. loan to purchase price. You know, what are the loan terms? Because the loan terms will likely dictate whether or not it's a, a lucrative investment. Um, the, the fourth there is the property performance and the pro forma. So a good key metric in terms of underwriting, look at the trailing financials of a deal. Let's say the trailing three months, the trailing 12 months, and compare that to the year one projections. Any significant differences between the trailing and the future should be able to be, you know, how are they putting themselves in a position to deliver? Like, how is it the case that rents have gone up 6% in year one? Now, it could be the case that the market is demanding a much higher rent than what the property is currently paying. But you want to see proof of that. You want to see the competitive set and just validate that claim. And I think that that, again, that'll give you a very good insight into the way that the sponsor answers that question, how knowledgeable they are, how conservative they've been in those assumptions and whether or not they're worth making a bet on. The fifth is the assumptions and projections, and that's just related to what the most important metrics are for determining the outcome of the deal, and try to get a sense of how conservative or aggressive those are based on market dynamics or other things. You can uncover in these conversations, you can uncover great insights into the personality of the people that you're making a bet on. That's really what it's all about. Um, the fifth there is the market itself. Okay, these are things like the diversification of employment. Well, everyone says diversification of employment. Everyone says they want job growth. Well, what does that really mean, right? Like, what is the actual percentage 
of population growth that you're seeing in the sector. Are you seeing 1.5% annually? Are you seeing 2%? Are you seeing 5%? All of those numbers are reasonable, but you just want to have a sense of what the, they are talking about from a numeric objective standpoint. Another metric that we like to look at is only having one sector be accounting for 25% of the income of the, uh, the population in a market. So if we see that the government sector is responsible for 40% of the jobs, we're going to be skeptical that even something as large as the government, that could move. It's, it's a military base, for example, that could be completely changed and 40% of the jobs are gone. Then kind of transitioning into the sixth stage, um, property-specific due diligence. You have to have a little bit of an understanding of the asset class that you're investing in, but I'll give you a perfect example. When it comes to self-storage, I don't like to invest in self-storage properties hmm. that are below 400 units. Okay. Okay. It's a matter of the diversification of the actual asset because if 10 tenants move out, I don't want investors to experience a reduction in cash flow. So the size of the asset actually matters. Makes sense. Looking at um, daily travel vehicles, for example, how visible the property is. And then, as we mentioned kind of at the beginning, the seventh stage is the legal documentation. Um, there's obviously I could spend hours on this one particular topic, but one key thing if you're skimming through these 200 page legal documents are things like additional capital requirements. So if I invest in this deal, is it possible that I can get an email from the sponsor one day that says, you need to contribute another 33% of your original investment amount or there's a penalty? We never invest in deals that have those types of requirements. How do they navigate that situation though? Let's say it is the case that the property does need additional capital. How is that navigated? Is it voluntary? Is there a penalty for non-contribution? These are the types of questions that you want to ask. Voting rights, things like this. And of course, you know, the way in which proceeds are divided. Is the sponsor stand to gain a lot of money prior to investors getting their money back? Those are the types of things you have to look through. And like I said, I can go through, you know, spend hours looking at legal documents. Unfortunately, I spent hundreds of hours doing so and hundreds of thousands of <laughs> dollars in legal fees okay. navigating documents. But that's kind of a, a quick summary of the processes that we go through for our investors, you know, at an elite level. Very helpful, man. So in the, we actually only have about five more minutes to go. So let's look at the other side of it. Let's see how the other half lives. I feel like so many people just are clueless when it comes to, not the due diligence side of investing in, but let's put it into the people that need to be investor side, just raising capital. Oh, I can't even imagine how many horrible false starts, people just not knowing how to raise around, not getting enough, getting too much, what kinds of sources. So how would you advise people how to properly raise capital? So I think the big challenge here is number one, it's way harder than it seems. It is That's not fair. the case that you can just send out an email to your friends and family and say, look, this is an amazing deal, whether it's a startup or a real estate deal or anything like that. I was shocked. I thought that I had built up a good reputation and I had a good, good group of friends and family. I had a luncheon where it was only for accredited investors. 30 people came. So there's probably $30 million of net worth in this room. I had a presentation on investment that I'd personally had a lot of success in. I promised the sponsor I was going to raise at least half a million dollars in order to do that. It was the only way that make the business model viable. I fell on my face, zero dollars raised. So the reason I mentioned that is that this was a, a scary moment for me as an entrepreneur, but the reason it happened was that all the reasons that I was so excited about this deal, the fact that 
it was just so unlike anything else in the stock market or bonds or any mutual fund or anything like that. All of the reason that it was such a novelty was all the reason that no one was interested because they had not been educated. They had not already been educated into this way of thinking about investing. So rather than trying to go chase around people to hard close them and get them over the finish line, I decided to build an infrastructure to attract people that were already interested in the space. And that has been one of the best investments that I've made in my career. So if you're interested in raising money, you know, one strategy that I think is really, really valuable, take an hour and a half and write down a hundred topics about whatever your particular niche is, just topics. And many of them are going to be bad. And that's one of the reasons you can overcome procrastination is because you know that they will a lot be bad topics that are interesting. But of the hundred you write down, you'll very likely have 10 that are really interesting. The kind of topics that you'd be proud of, the kind of topics that people that are interested in investing with you would be interested in sharing with their friends and write 10,000 word articles on those topics. And that's the beginning of that infrastructure. And then you can start to do supplemental things like write emails and, and do podcasts and conferences or thank you cards or, or time, you know, just a variety of things to build up that infrastructure so that when people come to your website, they're indoctrinated to a certain degree about your way of thinking. That way, when you have the conversations with them, you're not trying to pressure them to close, especially in the world of real estate. When you're looking at five-year, seven-year investments, you don't want buyer's remorse to come into the picture. You want people to be confident and knowledgeable before they wire. So that's my suggestion is build that infrastructure. It's a great way to spend your time. Um, as you know, I mean, this conversation is an example of that. And that's fantastic advice. I love the element of failure to it. I'm not wishing people failure, but all of these people amaze me that everybody thinks that everything's just puppies and clouds and rainbows and not every idea is good. Not every idea is going to make it. Not every idea for sure is going to be funded. And I think you have to fail regularly to, find, to shake out some of the ideas that will succeed. And what I love about what you're saying here, and I don't hear this a lot, is integrating the concept of creating some content, not just, hey, have some ideas and hit up people and cold email and all this garbage, but show people what you're knowledgeable about. And I really love that part. That part itself may make the audiogram itself for the show. So listen, it looks like we've actually hit our 15 minutes here, Hunter. You've been a fabulous guest. Thank you for providing so much wealth and knowledge in a short, compact form. Where can everybody reach out to you out there online? Yeah, of course. And again, I appreciate the opportunity. So um, like I mentioned, I'm the managing principal of ASIM Capital. Um, we're a private equity real estate firm. You can learn more at asymcapital.com. And I also am the host of a podcast, as I mentioned, part of our infrastructure. You can find that at Cash Flow Connections, three words, real estate podcast on iTunes. Absolutely. Thank you so much again.